0: This is This Week in Common Sense starring Paul Jacob. wherein in Paul. What does Paul do every week? Paul comments on the news of the day at thisiscommonsense.org.
1: I thought that the Nick Sandman uh, story was so interesting to me in the reaction I got because I posted on my personal Facebook page and I got a lot of, you know, all right, uh, this is so outrageous, Uh, it's about time that, you know, these guys in the post and CNN, uh, I guess we should explain to people, Nick Sandman, Sandman, uh, there should be a song. Anyway, uh, (laughs) he's the fellow with the Covington, was it Covington High? Uh, The Catholic school, and and of course, uh, what I found fascinating is how people viewed all these different little facts As just interesting little tidbits or completely depositive of any question that, you know, whatever his, that he's white male or Catholic, told you everything you needed to know, or that he was from Kentucky or whatever. But these are the students who were at the Washington Monument, or not the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, and they were waiting for a bus. They had been in DC. A number of them had Make America Great MAGA hats. and they're waiting, and all of a sudden, uh, you have these, um, what is it, the Black Hebrew Israelites, uh, which are pretty much a terrorist group that hates uh, white folks. And, um, and you had then the uh, Native American who came up and was beating his drum. And of course, the way this story was portrayed in the media, Washington Post, CNN, other outlets, was that somehow these white privileged Catholic, how evil, you know, I, I'm not Catholic, I was, I was raised Catholic or reared Catholic and and chose a different way. But I've got no hatred for Catholicism. Uh, you know, I disagree or agree with different parts and pieces. But it just is amazing the the kind of vitriol that comes from, from some of this. Anyway, but there were people who were just these these young people were being disrespectful because he was smirking at this uh, Indian, or, or I shouldn't say Indian. I'm <laughs> now I'll be arrested. Before the podcast is over, but, but I might as well go ahead for as long as I can. But this Native American man who is, I think, a, a, a veteran, and that was played up in the piece. And then I think there was some question about whether he was really a veteran and so on. But anyway, you slice it, he's a Native American, he's good. They're white high school students at a religious school. They're automatically bad. That's kind of how the how you would expect the mainstream media to portray it. And it's when, when I say it, it just seems so bizarre and so wrong. But that's, I think, how if another story like this comes out, how I'd expect them to play it. And, of course, it turned out that they weren't causing trouble, these young Catholic school kids. Uh, Catholic school kids in trouble. Anyway, uh, they were not causing any trouble. They held their ground. They did nothing uh, outrageous or obnoxious. They had been accosted and yelled at with vicious, dirty uh, slurs by the uh, black Hebrew Israelites. And they had, you know, had this person banging a drum, right, who came right up into them doing it. But it turned out they didn't do anything wrong. And yet the media across the board, the initial coverage of it was that they were the aggressors and that they were were somehow uh, putting these other people down. And and I know you've got something to say Tim. So but the, the last thing is, if this was all a big mistake, if the Washington Post and CNN, both of whom have now settled with Nick Sandman, Uh, if it was all just that we thought this and, and we covered it wrong and we made a mistake, one, they could have apologized for the mistake, two, they wouldn't have much of a case in court against them because anybody can make a mistake. What they're really charging here is that they had every reason to know the real facts or at least to look at the footage that was right there and out there for anybody to see And that they purposely took what they knew and pushed it aside and decided to cover it the way they wanted it to be.
0: I should mention that this is the Monday piece that you wrote. It's Democracy Thrives in an Out-of-Court Settlement, right? And I think that the real reason they freaked out, the media freaked out and conspired against Sandman and his friends, was that they were wearing MAGA hats. And that's something you didn't mention, and that really is important for the story because I don't think this would have been an issue if it weren't for the MAGA hats. I just don't think it would have been. Uh, and then uh, Mr. Phillips, the Indian, uh, he basically slandered them. He lied about them and told a false story several times on the on the news when interviewed, and they did no fact checking about that either. So. Well, that, that
1: is- and and i i did actually mention just briefly that they were wearing maga oh did you okay but i, I did not mention and thank goodness you caught it that that really was the i mean again <laughs> everyone knows that was the driving factor that caused them to report this story the way they did and you know it's it's interesting again that we live in a world in which if you say anything nice about the president of the United States, if you like the president of the United States, you are considered some sort of evil, vicious, terrible, rotten person by major media outlets in our country. I mean, that's just—it's kind of an interesting world we've we've come to live in. And uh, so, I think I think the other aspect of this, which is interesting is that they just immediately made Mr. Phillips a super wonderful person. And, you know, maybe he's not such a bad guy. He might be a wonderful person in all kinds of ways, but they didn't seem to look into anything about him. He just automatically, because he was Native American, and because he was on the other side, uh, juxtaposed with people wearing MAGA hats, he was a wonderful guy. And, you know, it, it, he did, the way he told the story turns out to be either purposely misleading. That's a nice way to say it. Or he was disconnected from the reality that was going on. Uh, Because he certainly, he he was very forgiving of the students during one interview that I remember seeing. But he was forgiving of them for what? He acted as if kind of they came on and I wondered because of the way he was talking if the reporter who was talking to him had not in essence encouraged him or asked were those kids outrageously rude or mean or you know in other words he was it it had the feel that they were they were urging him to say negative things And, and again I didn't I didn't get the prior question to his statement so I'm surmising that Um, But anyway, this is a it's great that there was this judgment against the Washington Post or not judgment. I should take that back. This settlement. I don't think they would have settled. They thought they were going to win hands down in court. And these cases, I was discussing this with someone who has Trump derangement syndrome and who, you know, hates Nick Sandman, I think because he wore a MAGA hat and so on and so on. And the view was, well, this doesn't really tell us anything because, you know, that they settled, big deal. But I pointed out, oh, wait a second. These are not cases that people are winning very often. And it's not as if the Washington Post had to settle because financially they'd be ruined if, uh, if they didn't. They're owned by the richest guy in the world. So they had every ability to fight this case. And I think the fact that they settled when these sorts of cases almost never win uh, says a whole heck of a lot. And it says a whole heck of a lot about our media. You know, when you attack the media as being not up to what they should be, and criticism's good for everybody, um, even even you and I. Uh, it makes us better. We hear, we think, we reflect. Maybe we change something. Um, but any time you criticize the media in this day and age, You're somehow anti-First Amendment. You're somehow destroying, you know, the country as if the media is supposed to be put on some pedestal. The media has a role to play, which I submit to you, it's not playing very well. They want to be the fourth estate, the watchdog of the government. And frankly, they're not a very good watchdog. That's the problem I have with the media. Now, they're up in arms and ready to go to investigate and do battle and criticize and deconstruct anything Mr. Trump does. And good for them. That's, that's sort of how they ought to be. Maybe pull it back just a little bit. Um, but that's sort of how they ought to be with every president. And I think one of the things that's just you know, whiplash here is that they were fluffing uh, President Obama's pillows. They were um, just, he could do no wrong. They, they didn't ever want to criticize in any way, shape, or form. So we've gone from this eight years of a president who the major media outlets never criticized, uh, hardly at all, and certainly not harshly, to a president who, you know, he woke up and said the sun shined. You, you'd hear why maybe it didn't really shine so well. And so, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a new territory. And, and uh, I, I, I am sympathetic, especially with President Trump, on this issue, because I know the kind of pushback I get when I criticize the media, as if somehow you're not supposed to do that. And I submit that the First Amendment is there, to criticize anybody you feel like, and that includes the media. And that's not an attack on the First Amendment. That's called full usage of the First Amendment.
0: Uh, Later in the week, we had an interesting story. Have you heard about the Owen Benjamin uh, fan club, basically, who uh, has gotten legal preference in a a case against Patreon?
1: No. Okay,
0: it's it's just interesting is that Patreon has been treating, well, you know, like almost all the social media com- companies. I mean, we, we know where the major media stands, right? The legacy media. They're all pretty much, except for Fox and something else, they're pretty much four square in the progressive camp or the center-left camp. whereas
1: Or the left of center-left camp.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and the social media companies are doing that too. I mean, I was just censored today on Facebook. Uh, one of my posts was taken down, and they didn't tell me which post it was. They just said that I'd... Uh, I'd said something non-factual about the coronavirus. Since I don't know what I'd said, because I post a lot of things, I, it was actually a completely useless thing. But they did take something I posted down, which annoys me, frankly. Like, it's not a, their, any of their business. Uh, but in Patreon, which is, you know, a way to support your favorite creators, content creators. And Owen Benjamin is a comic. And uh, he's been use, he was using Patreon for a lo- you know a while and was doing really well with it, and then Patreon just cut him off, because he was I mean he's a nationalist he's a Christian he's everything they hate, and uh, and he is pretty wacko I'm not going to say he w- isn't a little bit out there, I like him as he's I think he's funny but I also think he's a wonderful nut, and maybe half the time right. And,
1: and of course I think maybe it was uh, H. L. Mencken who, who pointed out that when you're defending freedom of speech. You're always going to be defending the nuts and the radicals and the, the people who are pushing the envelope on speech. But if you can't protect them and you can only protect the people who only say things that, you know, that the powers that be like, you don't have freedom of speech.
0: And uh, so this week, um, the, there's, this, you know, there's many cases against Patreon uh, from the fans who were no longer able to support their hero, Owen Benjamin. Uh, Big Bear, is that what they call him? Anyway, um and they had a huge win this week. The Patreon was is required to pay out uh, arbitration costs, and it's moving ahead in the courts in a way that looks like Patreon and these other companies are going to be taken down, maybe a, at least a few pegs, because of their breaches of their own terms of service. And so this is this is a week that's this is actually has more than one story that we're in major media that's very leftist is being found out that being partisan isn't necessarily going to get them very far.
1: Well, because they, they do uh, make certain, you know, they have certain policies and they, they have to stand by those. And it, it makes me think we haven't written about it. You know, the, the name's not going to come to mind right off, but uh, the fellow at Fordham uh, University who had a picture taken with a rifle that he owns legally, uh, he's a U.S. citizen who he and his folks came here from China, he does not like the CCP. And, uh, and he, on the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, uh, he took a picture with that and said, you can own this in America, and, you know, you can't in China, and it's one reason why they're not free. And he also had a picture of uh, a black, I think, police lieutenant or captain or something who was killed in New York City. And, um, now neither of those, uh, you know, strike me as anything terrible, anything threatening, but he is being threatened with being ousted, uh, from the university. He is already not allowed to go back on campus. He'll have to finish his degree, uh, without stepping foot on the campus because he is so dangerous and, uh, and yet. One of the things, uh, FIRE, what is that? The Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, I think. Uh, anyway, great group does a lot of these cases. And one of the things they pointed out when they wrote the letter to uh, the, the university was, you say, you say in your stuff that you send students that they have freedom of speech to say and communicate and express themselves as they wish. You can't do that, take their money and then say, "Oh no, we're not going to do that." But it's it's interesting on uh, the social media companies, and I'm no expert in this. I'm no I'm not even really very knowledgeable. I wish I was a lot more. Um, but they have certain antitrust exemptions and certain rules that have been written by the Congress. So <clears throat> we have this spectacle of the Congress pulling these uh, social media CEOs. Before them, you know, their little star chamber and they're going to talk to them and boy, you better get a handle on these things people are saying that are outrageous. And in essence, they're giving them this power and then they're yanking that chain to say you use this power to shut down the speech that we don't like that might be critical of us because we're the United States of America and we love freedom. And so we need a government that controls these social media companies that then controls you so you can't say anything. That's freedom. Um, maybe not. Anyway, it's but that's literally what is going on. And it is it's to me, it's obnoxious. If Congress had nothing to do with creating these social media behemoths, it would be obnoxious for them to be pulling them before congressional committees and browbeating them and trying to control what they do with their private businesses. But to have this charade where they pretend to be these tough guys, because some Americans for some, some terrible thought process think that it's good for the government to try to browbeat people into only saying what is true according to the government. So, you know, it, it, to me, These sorts of, you know, uh, Congress being the tough guy, when Congress is hapless, it's bad enough. But when Congress is, you know, on steroids and the tough guy, it's usually even a lot worse. And so we don't want them doing this with the uh, social media companies, but we do want them making certain that they don't have laws empowering people in ways that are just for them and not for everybody else. And I think a lot of it uh, goes to the fact that if Facebook and these other companies are policing the speech on their sites, they are no longer, and I'm going to forget what the term is for it, but they are no longer a platform that is simply allowing people to post, all of a sudden they are more responsible for what's being printed in the same way that if the Washington Post was just a... A, uh, you know, online place where people could post different stories and they said, hey, none of these stories are us. Well, then the story on Nick Sandman would have been, hey, go get, go talk to the person who wrote it. It's not us. But it is them because they're the ones who are editing and controlling and deciding what goes in the Washington Post. In the same way, Zuckerberg and company at Facebook are now doing the same thing at Facebook. So, you know, this is something that. We ought to, we have a role. The role is not to decide what everybody says. The role is to to decide how our government sets the laws so that they're fair for one and all. And we have so much special dealing. And then how often does anyone get told that one of the reasons all this back and forth is going on between Congress and and Twitter and Facebook and so on is because Congress has all these special rules for these operations. That's where we need to be targeted.
0: If I remember right, you enjoyed the uh, comment for this Monday piece, is that correct?
1: I really did and <clears throat> we talked about it a lot and so I <clears throat> I was gonna, kind of, uh, not so free is uh, a, a regular commenter and, uh, and uh, always enjoy, I know her and uh, always enjoy what she has to say. Uh, but I was going to skip her. She wasn't going to get any billing because we had kind of beaten it to death. But she pointed out, and maybe we haven't, actually. She pointed out on uh, my question, will these media outlets learn their lesson from having to pay out money for their horrible reporting? And she answers it pretty plainly. No, they won't. They are backed by very deep pockets, she says. So a few million here, a few million there won't stop them. And sadly, she's right on the money. What will stop them, however, is people tuning in to other outlets, people canceling their subscriptions, so on and so on. So it's a it's a media war out there, and uh, and I think something that you know I'm I'm pretty lazy in that it's easy to get stories from the you know wherever you see them but maybe increasingly we should be looking for if we can pick a story that's by the washington post or the new york times or one that's by the washington examiner or the epic times or some other paper i think we're going to have to choose some other paper
0: yeah well i get the epic times and i get the economist and that's all that's the only paid for stuff coming in the mail as far as i can tell here uh other than a whiskey magazine but that probably doesn't count.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if, if if any of our readers pick up us and, you know see the email come in or go to the website and or Facebook and they they see something on whiskey they're going to know that we're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of script so there was some panic over pods that was our Tuesday piece. I started out with a quote from a father, uh, happened to be a, a black man, uh, NBC did a story about parents in this pandemic, of course, a lot of schools aren't opening, they're going to do virtual, and parents have to work, they need, the, <clears throat> they need the babysitting aspect of public education, and they want their kids to do better, and some kids, you know, might do pretty well, uh, virtually, uh, you know, learning online, some kids might not do so well, and so all over the country, there's Facebook pages, pandemic pods. Uh, some people are calling them micro schools, but they're basically hiring teachers or tutors or other folks to help get better education. And one, this one, uh, father who happens to be black, uh, which just becomes important in this story for. Uh, reasons of our societal insanity. And uh, and he says, you really want to get the best for your child. And and so here, we're, he, you know, you set it up. He wants the best for his child. That seems like a fairly normal motivation. He and other parents are getting together and doing things to better their children. That seems positive to me. But what do I know? because of course it's horrible. It's terrible. It's going to drive inequality. And I first saw an article in the Washington post one morning that made me want to scream. And then I saw this NBC news report, which had the same take on it, which is, isn't this terrible? Isn't it terrible that parents are working with their kids and trying to get them a better education? And, uh, I, I go through a couple of people. There was one woman in Portland who you know, said she would never do this. She would go into poverty and teach her her kids herself before she'd hire someone to do it as if that's not kind of what's happening with the public schools. I couldn't figure it out, but she said this just seemed really privileged. which nothing wrong with being privileged, everybody. Let's privilege everybody. Everybody should have a right to go do this. Another uh, woman who's on the San Francisco City Council said that this frightens, this is frightening, quote, frightening to many black parents and parents of color. And I thought, frightening that someone would reach out and try to hire someone to help their kid? And then, of course, uh, a professor at New York University who called it opportunity hoarding. Now, of course, they're not hoarding anything. They're reaching out with their own resources and helping their kids. They're connecting up with a community of other people. I mean, that is not to like. But he says, for those families that are most vulnerable, particularly lower income families, black families, brown families, language minority families, they are locked out of that. Well, of course... They're not locked out of that. In the same NBC News report in which he says it, there's this father talking about being part of these pods who happens to be black. So you're not locked out if you're black. You're not locked out with any of these categories. Now you're not. It's not that somebody waking up across town or across the country. Um, and thinking how do I educate my kid is going to think, yeah, but what about the Joneses? Three states over. I need to call them. You know, you're going to have to do this by who you know and, and let, let's spread it any, any way we can. But don't look a gift horse in the mouth and, and start to get silly about it all. And, and so I ended this piece by basically saying, read your kid or your grandkid a bedtime story. Now, doing so is driving inequality because there will be parents and grandparents who don't read their kids and their grandkids any story tonight. So, what do you do? Do you not read yours one? Or do you just, just throw caution to the wind and try to make your kid or your grandkid a little happier, a little better educated. Um, this is the insanity of our world that we can't see something wonderful like this without tearing it down. And, and of course, uh, you, uh, as I was doing this piece, um, educated me about Procrustes uh, um, who you know, I kind of knew the story, but I would have never known the name of the guy. Uh, but the 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 story about Procrustes, where he had the bed and, and everybody had to fit on the same bed. And so if your legs were too long, whoop, they just chopped your legs off. And if you were too short, you know, you got stretched. And basically, equality without any common sense is not a good thing these gaps, they talk about, oh, you're the income inequality gap. Well, look, if, if, uh, if tomorrow you win the lottery, you know, does that hurt me in any way? No, it doesn't, but it's gonna create a heck of a gap. In fact, I may be calling you trying to borrow money, but uh, it's gonna create a heck of a gap between us. What's the, what's the problem there? Don't focus on the, gra- on the gaps, focus on helping people get better, at whatever it is, not at being equal at whatever it is.
0: Yeah, this is a one of my pet peeves, is this kind of egalitarianism, the idea that there can be no forward advance if it's not equal advance. And what we know about advance is that it's never equal. Right. Th- that's, that's what really we know. I mean, because, right. you know, the good ideas that really work are often risky. So lots of people try things and that don't work. Right. So the idea that we can figure out what the advance is going to be and then make sure everybody has it and can't do it until they all have it. None of that makes any sense whatsoever if you know anything about the real world. So it kind of it's a real pet peeve of mine. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention is that you mentioned reading to your grandchildren and so forth. I think there's a lot of evidence that uh, for kids, if you want to raise their IQs, uh, reading to them and being in a reading environment is really, really helpful at a young age. Good nutrition is really, really helpful. And then, of course, attachment, uh, you know, maybe the occasional hug or something, you know, just having fun with your kids is really, really important, uh, because if a child doesn't have attachment to an adult, then they go completely, you know, they just go astray. So, and cultural differences, therefore, matter. So some cultures are better raising high IQ kids than others. And my opinion is that cultures that don't do so well should look around and say, oh, maybe we should start doing what that other culture does. Uh
1: I don't see what's wrong with that. No, no, exactly. It's it's like, you know, if anything you do, if you go do it and somebody else is doing it better, don't you think, hey, what are they doing? Because that's how we learn human beings' model behavior. That's why we talk about people being role models, because we learn how to act by seeing other people act. And if we see... In our society, this group is doing better than another group at whatever let's find out why and then let's copy it just flat out copy it it's the uh, it's the highest form of flattery but it's, its it's almost as if we have to fight it. We have to deny the results or fight the results somehow and act like I mean it would be insane for Anglo-Saxon culture, if that's what we want to call it, to think that we've got it all. We know everything. Any Anybody who does anything differently has got to automatically be wrong. You know, you're looking for a world to hurt, and, and you're looking for zero growth. And and yet, that's what we're going to get when we look at that within our society. It's, For instance, you look at uh, Asian culture. Um and you, you realize that oftentimes when folks are talking about minorities, Asians in the United States are a minority, but they're not counted as a minority a lot of times. Uh, Asians, you know, the, the whole people of color, we're all people of one color or another. And you know, black, you know, the people I know who are black aren't black, the people I know who are white aren't white, and Asian people who are supposedly yellow aren't yellow but other than that, uh, they do seem like people of color and yet somehow they don't count. And they don't count because they seem to be performing so well in public education. They have a crime rate that's really, really low. They have a very high income average. Um, And so it's like, well, wait a second, Instead, instead of throwing them off the island, and saying i'm sorry you don't get to you don't get to play in any of the you know people of color or minority games anymore why wouldn't we look and say what are they doing and in fact you know i happen to be in the majority racial group white folks and why wouldn't white folks look at asian culture in the united states and say what the heck are they doing cuz i want to copy some of that the good parts and one of the things they seem to be doing is having very intact families beyond just the nuclear family, but the extended family, very strong. In fact, in some of my Asian friends, them suggest maybe a little stronger than they would like, uh, but, but very strong and education is at the top, at the top. And so, you know, that's not a big surprise. Any culture can say, you know what, I think we really need to pay attention to maintaining our family bonds and building strong families and teaching our kids how important that is. And let's put education at the top and keep reminding our kids. And you know what, maybe we should read to our kids because that's part of education. I mean, this is not uh, rocket science. And in fact, Interestingly enough, I don't know if anyone will remember this, but but Joe Biden, in one of the debates, was asked about what you do, and he gave the completely convoluted answer about what you you make sure the record player's on at night or so on and so on. Now we had these great, and I'm I'm going to go ahead and give him a plug. Uh, we had these great CDs, Jim Weiss CDs, and. Um, he does these CDs about Greek myths. Uh, he's a Jewish guy, so he had a lot about Jewish traditions and stuff like that, which we bought anyway. My kids knew all I remember telling them something about uh, Yom Kippur or something, and, and my kid's like eight years old going, well, Dad, you didn't get that quite right, It's and explaining it to me, because they'd listen to these CDs. But, and, of course, it's not just plugging something in and they go to sleep. It'd help a lot if you read to them before you turned out the lights, but, but the basic trust of what Joe Biden said was right, that this isn't so difficult. We need to emphasize these things. But when you think about it, reading to kids at night, the government, and they don't need to have one. The government doesn't have any program to read to kids at night. It doesn't require any program. It's not like you have to have expert people to read. it's, it's very easily done if people want to do it. But again, if they're told, no, the problem isn't that you need to step up here or here or here, it's that it's somebody else's fault, well, they're not going to. They're not going to step up. Why would you? It's not, that's not the solution. They're constantly told the solution is to somehow restructure things in Washington, And think about it. Think about if your future were really dictated in Washington. What a nightmare. Years ago, I've always complained about the the Postal Service. And years ago, we used to send out uh, CDs with the common sense uh, audio for radio stations uh, back in the old days. Um, And uh, I went to the Post Office because they had this change in the rate. And it's really important how many stamps you have to stick, it up, stick on the, the little envelope. You know, it wasn't a, a you know, a first class. Uh, well, it was first class, but it, you know, it wasn't just an envelope that was the regular amount. So usually we had to do two, sometimes three. Well, the way they had done it, there was no way without putting four different stamps on the envelope. Well, I knew that's another 30 minutes of the of the kids that are doing it, and I'm gonna, you know, need to pay them for another 30 minutes. Or, and, and not all the money in the world, but it was just, this is so stupid. Why would you change something and then not even be ready for the change? Well, you know why? I went and talked to someone because I'm a lunatic and I wasted about 15 minutes so that I could unload on this person and then didn't unload on them because they very quickly explained to me, we have had that request out for almost two years. Congress held up on it forever and ever and ever, and finally approved it with almost no time before it went into effect, and we didn't have time to print the stamps. And the whole time that this woman at the post office was explaining this to me, going through my head is, oh, my goodness, these people, it's like their they're board of directors is the U.S. Congress." Could you imagine working for a company that was run by the US Congress? So now I'm very sympathetic to the people at the post office and I happen to believe that if you, pro- if you privatize the post office and look, it's in the constitution, if we wanna have a stupid government program forever, it's constitutionally, you know, right there. But why have it? The constitution doesn't require us to waste a bunch of money on the postal service. If you privatize the post office, They, I believe, would be a company making money, real profits in no time, in no time. Nothing wrong with the people working there other than they've been encouraged maybe to be a little bit lazy. I had a neighbor who used to work at the post office and got in trouble always for working too fast. But again, if you people have a tendency to adjust to their environment and if your environment is, hey, don't work so hard we do it this way and it's completely bureaucratic and ridiculous. Well, if you work for a company that can't go under, what's the difference? The moment they become a private company, uh, I think, I think they'll, they'll end up being overnight uh, a lot better.
0: By the way, I have a great book for you to uh, read to your grandchildren. This is Albion Seed by David Hackett Fisher. And, We were just talking about, you know, how white people have a culture and then they're Asian. Well, this talks about the four cultures that built America, their original American colonies and the early states. Four different conceptions of freedom. He, He goes down to the folkways of American, of the American traditions, and he talks about four different conceptions of freedom and how they looked at the world and how different they were. The point being is that even white culture, you know, which there isn't white culture, there's a bunch of cultures. And and that's and we can all emulate each other. It's a very interesting. It's very interesting how this all works out. Uh, in, you know,
1: in the same way that there's not one black culture or right. one Asian culture and so right, on. Right. Um,
0: uh, but, and by the way, arguably you and I aren't even of the same race. You're Anglo-Irish, right? Yes. And I'm Finn and Scandinavian. Can you be any different? That's what all I want to know. Can you be any different?
1: <laughs> it's funny because in whatever, uh, wh- whatever uh, DNA stuff or whatever, it sounds like my family basically, all of our DNA is from like Ireland, England, and Scandinavia. So we may connect it in some way, some small way. Anyway, we better, we better get on because people may have a life to live other than just this uh, podcast. But our Wednesday piece was theft by spray paint. And and I could just see being beat up as not being very hip and cool. Maybe that's a white way to look at it or something. Uh, but I have to say, I have spray painted before from a political revolutionary standpoint. And I believe that people have a right to resist and rebel. I just think you have to have some responsibility. And when you live in a society in which there are ways to change what you don't like, it seems to me that you have some duty to do that as opposed to destroy somebody else's property. And we've talked, uh, we've talked quite a done, what two three uh, different scripts where we've kind of touched on this this debate between you know, protesters and no, oh, but they're violent. Well, these are two separate groups of people. And frankly, the protesters have some responsibility to not provide cover for Antifa or other violent hoodlums. Um, but there's no, you know, that we as Americans, we don't have to pick and choose uh, that, gee, we're against outrageous violations of people's rights. Therefore, it's okay to violate other people's rights and destroy their stuff who had nothing to do with it. In other words, if, if I step on your foot, you don't get to go next door and punch Joe in the mouth. That would not be okay. And the truth is, you ought not punch me in the mouth. I just stepped on your foot, say, hey, get off my foot and try not to step on it again. And maybe write some rules to keep people like me, if we step on your foot too much, from doing it again. And and what drives me so crazy about where we are now is that one, we have media. Unless you watch Fox News or or the Daily uh, Caller or Daily Wire or you know some of these different conservative outlets, you're not going to hear anything about. People being roughed up and different. Uh, you know, somebody was knifed the other day. It's not a you know, in in uh, uh, I believe it was Portland. You know, but it's not going to be front page news in most of our newspapers or on the the network net newscasts. And and yet, <clears throat> so so we're all kind of being fed this. This is all part of the protest, and it's not. I've been out protesting. Other people have these, as we pointed out numerous times. These criminal justice reforms that are needed are widely, widely supported. And it's only because we happen to live in a country in which our representative democracy doesn't include any real decent representation of us that that government hasn't acted on these a long time ago. There is not support anywhere of any size in this country for the way the police have behaved in the George Floyd case, and in almost every single one of these cases, we have to we have to reform it. Now, the uh, uh, theft by spray paint, and uh, you know the argument about graffiti being theft. Uh, Heather McDonald, who's uh, uh, wrote at City Journal, and she's uh, if I'm not mistaken with the Manhattan Institute, um, but <clears throat> she or is it the Manhattan Institution? Anyway. Uh, <clears throat> She makes the argument that, in essence, the liberals and progressives are for crime, Uh, that they they don't make this distinction that somehow this crime is good and crime is not good. They don't. And I think she's right in the sense that they don't make the distinction between, uh, you know, if if Somehow you were of the wrong political viewpoint and you went out and spray painted or burned something or threatened people. Well, then you'd be a thug and a terrible person. But if you have their political bent, then what you're doing is heroic and wonderful. And, you know, I do think it matters a lot whether you have real grounds for your resistance, for your... Uh, agitation, um, and and I think if you do have real grounds, well, then sometimes because you know, look, if if uh, if you're fighting Nazi Germany, there's certain things that might be okay that wouldn't be okay if you're trying to get the United States of America's government to behave itself. Um, but that that kind of gets thrown out, and it it does create almost a um, You know, a a situation where uh, you've got we 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 aren't together on on crime. And I think, again, as much as the American people are together on uh, criminal justice reform, I think they're also together on that. It's not okay to destroy stuff or burn stuff or rough somebody up or threaten them. It's just ugly and it's wrong. And uh, and yet, you know, we're not being pulled to a realization that, hey, we're really all together on this and we're not being pulled in that direction because it doesn't work for either party, frankly. Uh, But it certainly doesn't work in this election cycle. And I think I think the coronavirus uh, would have been uh, reported in a. Totally different man if Donald Trump were not the president and and it were not an election year. And I think that these uh, riots and protests, two separate things going on, would have been treated much differently if this wasn't an election year. And in essence, you didn't have the media not wanting to tell any nuance and simply wanting to say, look, good protests against bad Criminal injustices. Trump's on the other side. Trump, key bad. Protesters, good. You know that, that's what we're getting. And and again, it's 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 not only is it wrong, it's also incredibly condescending. Uh, but that's what we've come to expect from our, especially our national press corps.
0: Well, we're quite a ways into this. We can common sense and uh, three fifths. We've gotten three fifths of the uh, of the columns.
1: We're we're three fifths of a of a uh, podcast here. Um, well, let's let's um, take care of these last two of the week and uh, give people uh, a few extra moments to uh, to read to their grandkids or kids. On Thursday, we dealt with the limits of corruption. It's a story that has not gotten as much national play as I think it probably should have gotten. But here we have another Speaker of the House, this time in Ohio. He pushed through legislation last year to give a $1 billion, with a B, a $1 billion subsidy to nuclear power uh, operators in Ohio who had overspent on things. And so the taxpayers of Ohio had to come bail them out. Um, and there was a referendum to say, no, 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 the voters ought to decide whether this smelly, rotten uh, bailout is gonna go ahead. Well, they pulled all kinds of machinations to block that referendum. And now it turns out that 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 legislation, HB6 in Ohio, that provided a billion dollars in subsidy to big nuclear energy companies was facilitated by the Speaker of the House getting $61 million in bribe money, Uh, money that could be used to do, one, to pad his pocket, but to do other things, uh, to put pressure on people to help get that billion-dollar subsidy passed. But I also wonder if it wasn't part of the impetus behind something else that was not covered in the press unless you... uh, happen to subscribe to thisiscommonsense.org and our daily commentary. I wonder if that wasn't the money that the speaker intended to use to try to gut term limits because right before the pandemic hit, news came out that Householder had uh, set up this committee. They had filed an initiative. They'd already collected the first couple thousand signatures and they were going to go forward on one to set new term limits, that instead of being eight years would be 16 years, uh, and that would give Householder a new clock so that he would be able to serve until 2036, which, interestingly enough, is exactly what Putin is doing in Russia. And we had talked about it months ago when it happened. We had made the connection with Putin in Russia. But just weeks ago, Putin got away with it, with his phony referendum. And, of course, uh, Householder, who was arrested by the FBI uh, and is now under a very, very serious felony indictment, uh, is not going to get away with it. And uh, and that's very good. And then, of course, Friday, we return to the upside-down world of uh, masks in America. Uh, the title was Masking upside down. And, uh, you know, we came out and it, it's interesting, we've talked a lot about this, you know, outside of common sense, just daily talking to each other. And, you know, you were kind of an early and, and myself as well, people who thought, you know, a mask might be some protection here. And of course, I had just uh, last year traveled to, to Asia, to Hong Kong and Taiwan, where Uh, people much more culturally wear masks, partly because of SARS and some of the different viruses, but also just as, I think, a, a, um, you know, a a, a, a good manners to basically, if I'm sick, you know, maybe I just have a common cold, but if I'm sick, rather than breathing, you know, out on everybody, I'm going to wear a mask and, and protect my neighbor a little bit. And so on. Friday, we just suggested, you know, we don't like the idea, well, just to step back for a second, we like the idea of wearing masks, and we also picked up on the fact that we were getting all kinds of really ridiculous television segments and different experts, the Surgeon General and and Fauci and others telling us how masks don't really provide any protection, and they might even be counterproductive. and that just got my you know, my mind kind of moving a little bit and I thought that just sounds like bunk and and of course now it turns out it was bunk that they lied to us as we pointed out in the script months ago. Uh, they lied to us because they were they wanted to protect you know uh, n95 masks and they didn't want to run on on masks. but of course by lying to us, They delayed people wearing masks for for weeks. Had they instead been honest, then more masks would have been made. And then the whole economy, you know, people would react. They could make money. Other people could get masks. Maybe they wouldn't be N95s, but they'd be something. Anyway, of course, now, not only are there a lot of orders in different states that you must wear a mask, but there's been all this push that there should be a national uh, demand. It wouldn't be a law a national order that everybody has to wear a mask. And I've, I've thought freedom just works so much better. It's silly to be trying to arrest people and fine people for not wearing masks. We, you know, you just can't, you can't police everything. Most people are gonna wear masks in public because they're not gonna be allowed in stores without it. And, and those stores, the attorneys that those stores use And the insurance agents, they're gonna insist on that. And so I think that you're gonna see a very high level of compliance. In fact, the more it is a sign of good manners and a socially uh, important thing to do, the more compliance we'll get. The more it is a government demand and order that has in many people's minds, mine included, no validity under the rule of law the less you're gonna get compliance. But we really go further on Friday by pointing out this might be a blessing in disguise because one of the things that bothers both of us uh, and a lot of people out there um, is the sort of facial recognition which is completely ubiquitous in communist China today, but is also being used more and more and more in Britain and the United States And at least for now, uh, facial recognition doesn't work very well if you have a big mask over your face. So uh, I am encouraging people to embrace mask wearing, if not for your own safety or for the safety of others, just to, to give the middle finger to Big Brother and facial recognition.
0: Well, that was This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. This is for the last week of July 2020. Paul writes a column five days a week at thisiscommonsense.org. My name is Timothy Verkula. You can find me at locofoco.net and at workman.com and at workman on social media. That's workman with an I, not an O. And this podcast is available on YouTube and on SoundCloud and by podcatchers such as Apple's, Google's, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher come back next weekend thank you